God, thank you for a printer that works. And um, thank you for all these people. Pray, Lord, that you would come into us, each person individually ministering to us where we're at. God, I ask that you would give us wisdom and insight as to how to live life together in a way that you see it. How to live as a family and community. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in our topical series, which is very foreign to us because we're used to going verse by verse and precept upon precept. But it was just in my heart because we're going through some changes here at Regen with uh, these bylaw updates and these bylaw ratifications and elder ratifications and all these different things that uh, can have a tendency to divide if we don't kind of look at them uh, together and, and be in unity together and one accord together. So it's just kind of on my heart. Uh, one of the things, uh, topics that have been on my heart is what we're going to talk about today. And it's how, how we speak to one another, how we use our mouths. And in our society, one of the most celebrated birthdays is the Sweet 16. There's an MTV show about it. Um, I, I starred in it when I was 16. And um, one of the reasons why is because uh, you begin driving at 16. You are eligible to get a driver's license. And I wonder what's going to happen when the age turns 18. Because it's going to be called not a sweet, sweet 16. Because it, it, it's going to happen, right? I think California signed in a law. It affects all people who are under 14 now, I think. And so all of us parents with kids under 14... Amen. Thank you, Lord. I have a one and a three year old. I'm so happy. Um, I I have these two daughters and California just saved me like thousands of dollars in in insurance and cars and registration and gas and maintenance and just stuff. But the point I want to make is that not anyone is allowed to drive a car. You have to go to DMV. You have to take a written test. You have to take a driving test. And you have to do these things before you get a driver's license because driving is a life or death type of deal. So people are required to go through a series of tests before they receive a license if they want to drive a car. Another license that's required is, is, is a handgun license. It, it falls under a life or death type of thing. And you have to go through a test. You have to go through a class in order to own a handgun. Not anyone can own a handgun. You have to go through a background check. And there are things that can disqualify you from owning a handgun. So a a car and and a handgun, they require licensing partly because the operator of those two instruments have the potential to to determine life or death with them. And when we think of life or death, we we tend to think of the, the physical, the physical life, the physical death. We think of the body. But I want to bring up another life or death instrument that doesn't need licensing. And it's actually more powerful than a car. It's more powerful than a gun. And when this life or death instrument is used, we don't just think of the physical or just the body. And the reason we think it's beyond just the physical is because it actually is. And the way we use this instrument, it reaches our soul, it touches our spirit. And even though it has the potential to be so lethal, everyone has one without a license. And the instrument is much smaller than a car, much more powerful than a gun. It's our mouths. 
And because we require licensing for very important things like, like being a physician or driving or owning a gun, doesn't it make sense to require everyone to have a license for their mouths? Wouldn't it be great to have people tested every so often to prevent abusive practices with their mouths? So in addition with DMV, we can create the DMM, right? the, the, the Department of Motor Mouths. And wouldn't that just be great? And the book of Proverbs is keenly aware that words are very powerful. Looking at Proverbs in its entirety, you'll find a significant portion of Proverbs that is dedicated to our speech. And we're going to take a look at a few of these today because the way we use our mouths is extremely important towards living life together, towards living in community. So let's take a, take a look at the first proverb here. It's uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21. And it's written, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How true is that proverb? Our words have so much power that if we don't use them with care, they can cause a lot of damage. And we can stomp out someone's dreams with our words. We can stir up hate, resentment with our words. We can squash someone's spirit. We can strike fear into people we love, like our children or our spouse. And all those things can be deadly. But they can also bring life to people if they are used with care. Saying the right things at the right time can breathe life into people. Someone who is wanting to end their life can receive hope through our words. Someone who is alone can realize that they are loved through our words. Someone who is confused can receive direction, counsel, guidance through our words. And using the right words at the right time with care can offer correction to someone who without those words can make the biggest mistake of their life. Words have the power of life just as much as they have the power of death. Let's continue looking at several verses in Proverbs that address how we verbally communicate. And while we look at these Proverbs, I'd like to ask you guys to pray to God and ask him how the wisdom in these Proverbs pertain to you as an individual. And so let's look at the next proverb here. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Wise people don't rush to speak. Because they understand that the potential for misunderstanding is really great. And when we talk with one another, even if our hearts are in the right place and we want to say the right thing, we still need to choose our words carefully because there's a good chance that people won't hear what we are trying to say. And the way we speak can be challenging because the recipient may misunderstand what we are attempting to say. And any of us who have given a talk or spoken in public know that that what we have said, even though we try so carefully to, to craft what we say, gets taken in a way that we didn't intend for it to be taken. And there's a story of a pastor who put four worms in, in four jars at the beginning of his sermon. He wanted to, to do this great sermon illustration. So one worm was put in a jar of alcohol. and The second worm was put into a jar of cigarette smoke. And the third worm was put into this container of chocolate syrup. And then the fourth worm was put into this container of good, organic, clean, nutrient-rich soil, just like in Funktown Farm. And so at the end of his sermon, he, he brought up all these jars pretty proudly. And the, he showed the results. The results of one jar, the, the worm and the alcohol was dead. And the worm in the cigarette smoke was dead. The worm in the chocolate syrup was dead. 
And the worm in the good, organic, clean, nutrient soil, rich soil, was just alive, was thriving. So he stood up, just really proud of himself, that he communicated such a clear message with this sermon illustration. And so he asked, what have you learned from this presentation? So this darling little old lady stands up at the corner of the church, raised her hand, stood up using her cane, and she said, uh, as long as you drink, smoke, and eat chocolate, you will never have worms. <laughs> Proverbs says, do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Wise people are slow to speak. They continuously communicate with God about how to interact with people. James writes in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's an important lesson regarding speech found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an Israelite in exile from his people. He's a, he's a servant to the king of Babylon, and, and he heard that Jerusalem is in ruins. And now, Nehemiah loved Jerusalem. It's the capital of Israel, and he can't hide his sorrow, which is a really dangerous thing, because being sad in front of the king, that was a capital offense. That carried the death, death sentence. The king didn't want others to make him feel bad, so he'd just kill you, like that. So, like I said, you can get a handgun here. Anywhere. So, so Nehemiah's scared. He's scared. You know, the guy, I can't make him have a bad day. If I'm sad and I make him sad, I'm dead. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you notice what Nehemiah did when the king asked him a question? Nehemiah said, I prayed to the God of heaven. In that life and death moment, Nehemiah prayed to God because the next words could determine if he was going to live or if he was going to die. And so before he replied to the king, he prayed. And no doubt he's asking God for some help. Keep this in mind as you talk with people because your words are important. They can build people up or they can tear people down. So let us remember to pray when we need to resolve a conflict. When we give counsel into the decisions of someone's life, when we talk about sensitive things, when there are difficult things to discuss with one another, don't just speak in haste. Be slow to speak and pray before speaking. In those times when when what we say matters, let us pray. One way or another, we're going to pray. We're going to pray before we speak or we're going to pray after we speak. One way or another, you're going to pray. If we pray before we speak, our prayer will be, God, help me to say the right things. If we speak before our prayer, our our prayer is just, is, uh, if we speak before um, praying, our prayer is going to be, God, help me. What did I say? Right? So either way, you're going to be praying. So it's wiser to pray before because God may tell you just to be quiet. Don't say anything at all. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 tells us, Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Wise people know how to keep the peace and when to keep quiet. No reason to prove that you're foolish by talking. 
David Hubbard has a commentary on the Proverbs, and uh, he wrote about what he looked for in a, a leader. And Dr. Hubbard was uh, a former president of Fuller Seminary, and he was the president for 30 years, and, and he's also an Old Testament scholar. He wrote concerning what to look for in a leader, and he writes this. Do they wait their turn? Do they step on the lines of others? Do they have a need for the last word? Do they try to top everyone else's stories? Do they sound off in their areas of incompetence? Can they say, I don't know? Do they repeat themselves badly or wander aimlessly through their subject matter? People with these and other verbal liabilities do not usually make it to my team. They are not sensitive enough. They are not modest enough. They waste time. They hurt feelings. They shatter morale. Knowing how to live together, how to live in community involves wisdom in knowing how and when to speak. Are we invited to speak or are we forcing our voice to be heard? Our involvement can, can do harm or it can do good. And we need to be sensitive to our impact. And the author of Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17 wrote, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. So imagine this picture. Grabbing a dog by its ears. Now keep in mind when this was written, and keep in mind that this isn't talking about your pet. But it's talking about a stray dog. And in the ancient world, a dog was not thought of as we think about them today. It's not some cute 80-pound Labrador retriever that sleeps in the corner of your room that your children cuddle up with, named Joey. It's not like that. There were domestic dogs, uh, domesticated dogs, but this is talking about a stray dog, a more wild dog. It's a scavenger, a flea-ridden scavenger digging through trash for food, so it's more like a coyote or a fox or a jackal. You wouldn't go over to a wild animal and pull its ears, right? But we do this all the time. The writer of this proverb is right because we do this. We stick our nose in everyone's business. We get involved in things that aren't our business. We try to make things our business and then we start taking sides of those things. We draw these lines of division and pass judgment on others when it's not even our concern. You just look at people who are quarreling when when there's a quarrel between two people and then it often attracts others. And then not long before there there are others involved in an argument. This happened this past weekend. I was at my sister's house and there was this party. And so it started out with these two guys arguing at the party. And then pretty soon everyone in the party was outside and everyone's kind of fighting and they're shouting, no knives, no knives. It's pretty cool. Um. If we can just learn to allow people to resolve their own conflicts in a healthy way and not jump into a quarrel, we would be able to live life together more successfully. We would be able to live in community better. Let's take a look at another proverb, Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, for me to get to church, I have to drive through the Caldecott Tunnel. And when it's rush hour, you know, all four lanes are open and there's still a lot of traffic. And then when it's not rush hour, they close the other lane so that the other side has the four lanes open. So it's just two lanes. So it's still a lot of traffic. I don't get why they do that. Either way, it's a lot of traffic. So when it's backed up, I usually take the freeway exit like before and then I get back on. It saves me like, I don't know, half a mile. And so my wife, Katie, she really dislikes when I do this. She'd tell me, you shouldn't do that. 
How do we apply? It's legal, right? It's dotted line. It's not a solid yellow. And and then she'd tell me, it's not being it's not about being legal or illegal. You're cutting off all those people who have been patiently waiting to go through the tunnel. And it's rude. Why don't you just wait like everyone else? And after listening to her reasoning, I made a decision not to do that anymore. When Katie's in the car. (laughs) My my wife loves me and she wants her words not to just feel good, but to build my character. And Proverbs gets gets to the core of what love is. Proverbs 25, 12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Rebuke is a precious gift. It's incredibly valuable. Living life together requires us to rebuke. And when we rebuke as a friend, we do so for the benefit of our friend. It's not done in condemnation. It's done in love. So we must have the courage to rebuke, but we must do so in prayer, in wisdom and in love, not just looking for the wrong thing in people because we are judgmental, but because we love them. We we desire to speak truth in their life with grace, with love. And be careful of those who just tell you what you want to hear. Maybe they're not your friends. Maybe they're an enemy. The Proverbs warns us about flattering words and about deceptive words. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The kisses, the flattery of someone who really isn't your friend, it may feel good, it may sound good for the time being, but they're really damaging. Faithful and true are the wounds of a friend. And what about the way we talk about one another? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, And they go down into the inmost body. How is living life together when there's gossip in the community? Not too fun, right? Proverbs has a lot to say about gossip and how damaging it is. Gossip does not encourage us to live lives together successfully. It divides. It tears down communities. One of the most destructive ways to tear down people and to tear down community is to gossip. And Proverbs 18, verse 8 tells us it's so hard to get rid of gossip because it feeds something deep inside within us. There is something inside of me that is so dark and it feels good when I pass judgment on another person. It makes me feel like I'm a better person. I'm a superior person to you. And the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. It goes down and we like it. And we as Christians, and I say this as someone who struggles with words as much as anybody, we are capable of incredible damage with our words. Careless words, spreading rumors, gossip, passing on information that may even be actually uh, accurate. It can be accurate in terms of all the facts, but we can say them to the wrong people in the wrong way, with the wrong spirit at the wrong time. And it kills people. And the reasons why we say what we do, uh, they're oftentimes foolish. Our words can split churches, divide families, break friendships, ruin reputations, shatter marriages, splinter communities. We need God's help to live life together because our fallen nature tends to want to tear each other down. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 12 
shares with us that he who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. Let me share with you some practical things that we can do to control how we talk to one another. One of the things we can do is imagine the person we're talking about being in the room with us as we are talking about them. Would you say the same things in their presence that you are saying in their absence? Ask yourself that. Another thing you can do is if you find yourself struggling with gossip or any type of unhealthy talk, tell someone. Tell a friend, confess to someone you trust this struggle and have them pray for you and and pray for you about breaking this sin. You'll have a harder time breaking this bad habit if you go about it alone. And just like any other sin, you need the help of others. You need community to surround you and support you. So ask people to pray for you and hold you accountable when you slander, when you gossip or lie or judge someone. And when you practice confessing with others and to God, repent of your sin and you ask God to change your heart. The root problem isn't what is said. The root problem is the heart. The condition of our heart is what causes our words to be so destructive. The book of Proverbs makes a connection between the heart and the mouth. And it makes this connection seven times. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The real problem is a heart problem. It's not simply a mouth problem. The real issue is the heart. The things that are going on in our heart are going to come out of our mouths. We can do everything to control what comes out of our mouths, but if if our heart doesn't change, whatever is inside our heart will eventually come out. A third practical wisdom to keep in mind comes from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree 100 percent with what someone is telling you so that they don't get angry at you. We know that we need to be truth tellers. To be courageous enough to share the truth. And we shared that last week. What this proverb is sharing with us is that when someone gets really worked up so much so that their tone changes to, to shouting and, and starts throwing insults and being just emotionally charged. And then, you know, our natural response is to meet them with the same intensity. Right. So our natural response is to intensify our tone, to increase our volume, to use similar language, have the same energy as they do. And this is commonplace for the world. This is normal. And you see it on the freeways. With road rage. Right. So for us, for followers of Jesus, uh, when we observe someone losing control, it's really important for us to exercise self-control. Keep our cool. Don't escalate the situation any further. It's really important for us to speak truth, but we need to remain calm, remain rational. And the second part of that proverb, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We know that to be true, right? You say something, you're going to get something right in return if it's really harsh. I don't think we have to say much on this, but I do want to bring up the subject of like a a passive communication and mainly emails and texting and things like that. Because the Bible is very clear about these things. (laughs) Email is a wonderful tool, right? And G chatting and all that stuff. That's all. That's all good. Texting is all good. They're just not so good at resolving conflict. Right. Emails tend to lose something in that translation. They tend to be read into too much or not enough. And they they're just misinterpreted. And especially when something is is sensitive, 
See, the more sensitive something is, the less email should be used. So for me, like when someone is emailing me about something and they want to have a discussion or something and it's and it's getting nowhere fast. Trying to be politically correct. So after like three emails, I'm done. I'm done. I just email and I say, we're going to talk in person. We're going to have a meeting face to face. No more of this back and forth stuff like this. We're just going to meet face to face. And I've talked about our mouth having the power of life or death. And we've covered mostly the, the death part. So let's switch gears now. And we're going to talk about the life part so we can end on a more positive note. And so <laughs> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. See, if our goal in life was to avoid sin, you could just keep quiet. Never say anything. But God has something bigger in mind than silence. Right? God's intent for us isn't just to avoid sin. That's what the Pharisees thought, and that's why there was such a struggle with legalism for them. It's important for us to understand that God intended for us to have transformed lives. It's not about practicing avoidance. It's about us transforming into practitioners of love, joy, peace, grace, Justice, goodness. God didn't create us to be silent lumps on a log, avoiding sin. We were created to express life, to be creative, to share hope, to provide direction, to search for wisdom, to give counsel. God doesn't want us just to be quiet and ignore everything around us and be uh, avoiding the bad things around us. Oh, keep us in our Christian bubble and don't let me see those things on TV or listen to those things on radio. We are to share the gospel. We are to share what he has given us. He wants us to talk. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 tells us a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Gold and silver were were the two most precious things in that time. So you see the value of words that this author placed, and you see how valuable the right words are with the right spirit to the right person at the right time. And those words are precious. They're worth a lot. And this proverb makes me think of a person who teaches at our school of ministry here at Regen. Uh, his name is Chuck Fleming. He's been a friend of mine for years. He's a pastor at a different church. And he's so encouraging to me. He doesn't even work here, nor is he around me all that much. But he's the, one of the most encouraging people to me, and I can count on him to encourage me. And, and, and it's not just me. I've seen him do it with others as well. And when I see his name on my phone, I get happy. Like, oh, Chuck. Hi, Chuck. And then there are other people like, oh, man. Oh, please hang up. Right. So there's just different people. And um, so at Chuck's church, I, I see, you know, people at his church and under his ministry and mutual friends. It's, it's the same. He's just like that. He's he's great at making people feel really valuable. And it's not just flattery. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement from Scripture. Sometimes it's just joking around. Sometimes it's a word of thanks. Sometimes it's a compliment. And he has this great smile that. That is just telling you that he's for you, that he's behind you, and he's able to give you hope and, and bless you with his presence. And there are people that are just not like that. And we're going to run away from them. And we're, see, we, we, we're going to run into people who need some hope in their life. 
who need our presence to bless them, to lift them up. And we can choose to get frustrated or judgmental or, or unhappy in our flesh. Or we can choose to go to God and to be able to lift people up regardless of how we are feeling. And we can be a gift of encouragement to say the right things at the right times, to be like apples of gold and settings of silver. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 tells us, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Tree of life. That's a meaningful phrase in the Bible. Think back to the Garden of Eden where, where it was the gift from God to give life to Adam and Eve. And it comes up again in Revelation where Jesus went to the tree on Calvary, where the tree of death becomes a tree of life for everyone. God's gift to the world. A wholesome tongue is God's gift, a tree of life. I want to share with you a story uh, about the power of words. It's the story of Johnny the Bagger. It's by Barbara Glanz. And Barbara, Barbara was, was hired as a consultant to speak at this large supermarket chain. And she shared about the power of words. She talked about making a difference, creating memories, uh, making people feel special. And after she gave her presentation, she gave out her home phone number, as it was customary for her to do. So I'm going to do that for you and I'm going to give all the elders numbers to you. So a month later, uh, she received a call from this 19 year old grocery bagger named Johnny. She writes, he proudly informed me that he was a Down syndrome individual and he told me his story. He said, I like what you talked about, but at first I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. After all, I'm just a bagger. Then I had an idea. Johnny said, every night after work, I'd come home and I'd find a thought for the day. If I didn't find anything I liked, I would think one up. When Johnny had a good thought for the day, his dad helped him set it up on the computer and print multiple copies. Johnny cut each quote out, signed his name on the back, then he'd bring them back to work each day. When I finished bagging someone's groceries, I put in the thought for the day and I say, thanks for shopping with us. It touched me to think that this young man with a job most people would say is not important, and had made it important by creating precious memories for all his customers. A month later, the store manager called me and said, you won't believe what happened. When I was making my rounds today, I found Johnny's checkout line was three times longer than anyone else's. It went all the way around the frozen food aisle. So I quickly announced, we need more cashiers, get more lanes open. As I tried to get people to change lines, no one would move. They said, no, it's okay. We want to be in Johnny's lane. We want his thought for the day. The store manager continued. It was a joy to watch Johnny delight the customers. I got a lump in my throat when one one woman said, I used to shop at your store once a week, but now I come in every time I go by because I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. A few months later, the manager called me again. He said, Johnny has transformed our store. Now when the floral department has a broken flower or, or an unused corsage, They find an elderly woman or a little girl and pin it on them. Everyone's having a lot of fun creating memories. Our customers are talking about us. They're coming back and bringing their friends. A wonderful spirit of service has spread throughout the entire store and all because Johnny chose to make a difference. See, Johnny's idea was not nearly as innovative as it was loving. It came from the heart. It was real. And do you know who the most important person in that store is? Johnny, the grocery bagger. 
He's not at the top of the org chart. He's not making the most money. But he's the most important person in that store. How do we live life together? How do we live life in community? Jesus tells us a couple of these things, and he he has several statements. He says, in his kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. He says that servants are the greatest of them all. We're told that it is better to give than to receive. We're told that those who sacrifice and are willing to lose their life will gain it. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That means that whatever's happening, where you're at, make it happen here, where I'm at. And it's, it's a truth that happened in a grocery store, and it can happen anywhere. It should happen at church. It should happen at Regen. Do you know who the most important person here is? You. You are the most important here, person here. And and when you make yourself available to God to have his kingdom come to earth through you, that's divine. That's of God. And you and I can't simply build people up through our words, but Jesus can. Jesus is the word become flesh. Jesus is the master of the word and he can change our words. And we can all be like Johnny. What he did wasn't this groundbreaking thing or complex thing. He didn't get this idea from a strategic planning meeting or anything like that. It came from his heart. It doesn't matter what our title is or what we do for a living. We can use our words to live life together successfully and to build a family like like in in this community, to build it like a family. If we have all the right heart, the right heart to let people know that they have value and, and that they matter. And no matter how well put together people look everyone needs to know that they have value that they matter and our words can help to do that and through our words people can discover that god loves them that they are invited to be part of his family and through our words people who don't know jesus can come to know him our words have the power of life and death now before you head out i'd like you to write this down it's uh, from proverbs 25 verse 11 A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And tonight, uh, I'd like you to think of a scripture you can share with someone. And write it down, sign your name on the back of it, and give it to them. Encourage them. 